Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I'm your host Julie Murphy and today we have the great pleasure of welcoming Nicole Brown with us. Welcome Nicole. Thank you Julie. Hi. Hi. It's so great to have you. Listeners, thanks for joining us also. I've had the great pleasure of meeting Nicole this year through the Palm Beach Poetry Festival which you've been involved with for many years, haven't you? I have, yes. Um, I think I went to the first one, oh golly, in 2005 and have been going every year since. It's a, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a great, we were in Tracy Broomhall's workshop together. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, just to let you know a little bit about Nicole, she received her MFA from the Vermont College and studied literature at Oxford University. She was the editorial assistant for the late Hunter S. Thompson. What a distinction. There must be a lot of stories about that. I don't know if distinction is the word. <laughs> yeah. In kind of an underground kind of a way, I guess. Yes, he was a pain in something that I can't say on the radio. <laughs> and you worked at Saraband Books for 10 years. And you've authored four collections of poetry. Sister was first published in 2007 and reissued in 2018. And your second book, Fanny Says, won the Weatherford Award for Appalachian Poetry in 2015. And the audio book came out in 2017. And currently, Nicole teaches at the Sewanee School of Letters MFA program and the Great Smokies Writing Program at UNCA. She lives with her wife, poet Jessica Jacobs in Asheville, North Carolina, where she periodically volunteers at several different animal sanctuaries. A chapbook called To Those Who Were Our First Gods won the 2018 Rattle Chapbook Prize, and a long sequence called The Donkey Elegies was published as a chapbook by Sibling Rivalry Press in 2020. In 2021, Spruce Books published Write It, 100 Poetry Prompts to Inspire, a book she co-authored with her wife, Jessica Jacobs, and they regularly teach generative writing sessions together as part of their Sun June Literary Collaborative. Welcome. It's just so great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm excited to even be close to Santa Cruz. Oh, well, we're really hoping to get you and Jessica out here as soon as we're free to do that. Um, Nicole and Jessica were scheduled to teach here it last August or September. And that, yeah. of course, all got mixed with the pandemic and... Oh, this past year, I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> We're recording on Zoom and we got to see each other on Zoom at the Poetry Festival. And uh, Nicole and Jessica also teach a generative class every other week. And it's been great to join you on that. And oh, loved having you. Yeah, it's so much fun. And we'll post on our website when this comes out as a podcast, we will post links to Sun June and to Nicole's website uh, and to the books so that you can um, get a hold of all of those. We're going to focus our show today 
on the donkey elegies that did just come out last year. And I've just so enjoyed reading these poems. I actually read them aloud with my almost 96 year old mother. And we sat by the fire one evening. You know, we marveled at how just starting with the physicality of a donkey opens the door to so many deep and relevant and soulful thoughts and conversations. Looks at a lot of hard stuff to look at in life. So I appreciate that you wrote this book and maybe you could say a little bit about what inspired the collection and yeah, let's start there. Well, thank you, first of all. I mean, I I think uh, anytime a poem gets to live in the air, you know, between the mouth and the ear, um, that's when it that's when it sings, and that's when you remember, of course, what the root of lyric is. You know, so when it becomes a song, and um, certainly reading out loud is a part of my my revision process, and uh, so much so. Sometimes I read to myself, but also when I have the opportunity to read in front of audiences and watch their faces as I'm reading, that's when I know if a poem is ready or not. Yeah, so thank you for doing that. I, I, and it's by a fire, which just <laughs> makes it even sweeter. <laughs> so the, the Donkey Elegy started, um, well, I, I started writing about, fa- writing about um, animals about uh, five years ago. And um, I, pr- previous to then, I had always written about family. Um, my first book, Sister, uh, chronicles my childhood growing up in Kentucky and it addresses a younger sister. And uh, my, my second book is um, about my tough as new rope uh, grandmother who raised me and uh, had a lot to say to her. But I, I realized that um, with the, the pressing environmental concerns with the, the devastation we have wrought um, on the land and on the earth. Um, what is pulling me and what was pulling me then more and more um, is to speak uh, for, for animals or try to stand beside them and write for them in some ways, not necessarily about them, but for them. Yeah. And um, I, I published to those who are first gods. And uh, that was that was sort of my my start. And I, I also realized that in, in order to write these poems, one of the things I really needed to do was to be among them. Mm-hmm. And so I started volunteering. And one of my first uh, volunteering gigs was at the Western North Carolina Nature Center um, here in Asheville. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful place, but of course I, I, I signed up thinking that I would work with the more charismatic animals there. Um, they're all um, animals that are found here in the mountains. So I thought, oh, I'll go work with the bears or the otters, <laughs> the raccoon. And they said to me, you know, hey kid, do you have any uh, uh, experience? And I'm like, no. And they handed me a shovel and sent me over to the petting area. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay. And it was funny because I was really disappointed because I had all of the same stereotypes about these animals that that I grew up with, you know. Um, and the don- there were two donkeys there in particular 
And I thought, oh, you know, donkeys are stubborn. You know, they're not particularly intelligent. Um, you know, whatever am I going to, to really learn from these donkeys? And that, that was my fault. Um, because once I got around them and, um, like you mentioned, the, the physicality is the first thing, you know, the ears, oh, they've got these wonderful ears and they have these, um, steadfast, quiet, interesting presences. Now they're not always quiet, but they have like a kind of an energy and, um, at the same time, I started to read about donkeys. And in particular, I ran across a book called Donkey, um, published by Reaction Books by Jill Bao. Um, Jill uh, lives in Australia. And she walked me through in her book, the history of donkeys, not just the biology of them, but the history of them. And in particular, mm -hmm. our human relationship with them you know, um, and it completely changed me. And the further I got into it, I realized how incredible they are, how hard they have worked, how our civilization really would not have been built the way it was without them. What I started to realize as well is how much they spoke to the place from which I came, which was a working class Kentucky. And in particular, as a woman, and as somebody who most of my life um, had been readily uh, dismissed in the same way that I was dismissing this, this useful mm. animal. Mm. And all of those themes come out so vividly in the poems. Thank you. Yeah, so, so beautiful. Well, if you're just tuning in, this is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and we're here at KSQD with Nicole Brown, and maybe this is a good time to hear you read. Sure, I would love to. Um, so I'll, I'll just start you out with uh, three of the, the shorter pieces from the uh, beginning of the book. And, and the book is essentially an essay, but it's an essay in poems. So um, and it, it consists of 25 uh, short sections. Ears like sugar scoops. Ears like hands cupped to cradle a cool drink from the creek. Ears like single petals of dahlias at full bloom, curled, firmly upright, but always soft, always open. Furred periscopes, one pivots to the wheezing scream of a squirrel above and I follow here as if for the first time that common arboreal cry, neither chirp nor growl, but something in between, like the caw of a mother blue jay stoked behind the teeth of an old yard dog. Your other ear, blessed as I am, rotates towards me. Sweet apricots, velvet satellites, the twin soles atop the head of every donkey. And of course, that's just addressing the ears, which you have to start talking about the ears. 
Um, this next little piece, um, of course, is another uh, thing that everyone thinks about um, with donkeys, and that is their, their bray. At this animal park, I work to be near your otherworldly greeting. A thing you show off again and again, hollering while you inhale and hollering while you exhale, hollering while you breathe in and hollering while you breathe out, a didgeridoo kind of circular yowling away to play no other mammal can manage, a pleading that peels a juke band of hoorays anytime I bring fresh hay. But no one hears what I hear. Instead, passerbys can't help but laugh and laugh. To them, the hollering smacks of stupidity, or maybe orgasm, the open window kind heard from the street, urgent and hotly embarrassing. They offer crude imitations, guffaw their old McDonald versions of your song, their fake braise of Eeyore, hee-haw, Eeyore, hee-haw is a pass-us-by. Onomatopoetic maybe, but wrong. The real sound is the world's largest door swung wide, an open throat of rust and hinge, the caustic rocketing of a mother goose if she were born horse, a trumpeting animated by Dr. Seuss. This call is meant to travel and far, miles and miles across a vast expanse of desert made to survive the dry lonely for which this animal was made. I lean into the gyrating seesaws of tone, try to understand the shameless, insistent language of donkeys. And then I'll read one more piece, and this is just about their soft, pettable coats. Fur the color of fawn grass, long bending, done in by the sun, or else fur the carbonated gray of fog so thick it looks like the mountains here on fire with dawn down your neck and from shoulder to shoulder two dark lines make an x marks the spot and some call those ridges eel stripes and others say the capital f father himself drew that crucifix across your back but i'm not fooled into thinking your liquid blinking and maybelline lashes make a gentle beast like my mama and hers before Donkeys do not scare, but stand their ground. Don't take off running as those gorgeous high-class horses do. In danger, a herd will face inward to huddle around its foals, tightening a circle of go ahead and try me, daring any predator near their fatal chorus line of kicking legs. Yes, any farmer knows you're more savage guardian than any dog, and I re recognize you as one of my own. Fierce matriarch, you'll stomp a hawk near your flock of hens, chase a bear away from your bleeding sheep, smash the white brains from a coyote who tries its teeth on a weaker donkey.
That was Nicole Brown reading the first selections from the Donkey Elegies, an essay in poems, here on the Hive Poetry Collective on K-Squid 90.7 FM. It was so beautiful, Nicole. Just the whole opening with those donkey ears, ears like sugar scoops, ears like hands cupped to cradle a cool drink from the creek, ears like single petals of dahlias, always soft, always open for periscopes. Hmm. Absolutely gorgeous, but we also, we also receive the love and the tenderness the speaker has towards these animals. They yeah. become so alive right in that first opening description. It's Thank marvelous. You. I do love them terribly so. <laughs> <laughs> and you bring us to love them, which I think this is it's sort of like the slow love affair that happens um, mm. through the collection of these poems. Like we get how um, you know, just these physical details that we feel drawn into them right away. Mm -hmm. And um, in, the, in the third poem, which is about the sound of the donkey, mm -hmm. there's so much sound. Yeah. All of the hollering. In the they do like to make a sound. <laughs> <laughs> and it's loud. Yeah. It's so loud, but once you understand what they're doing, a lot of times they're just excited. Yeah. They're saying hello. Yeah. It, and then the, that last line, it, and in the way that you're writing about that, there's so much sound and so much music mm -hmm. in how you're doing that. And that last line, I lean into the gyrating seesaws of tone, try mm -hmm. to understand the shameless, insistent language of donkeys. <laughs> um, it's amazing and I, I see in these first you know these first three that you've read that there's certain themes that are really established right on and one in the very first poem you establish a theme of holiness that comes in and out of the entire collection hmm. that line your other ear blessed as I am rotates toward me Sweet apricots, velvet satellites, the twin souls atop the head of every donkey. And when I read that, I saw halos over these donkeys. I, you know, there's a, a spiritual quality that comes in and a holiness. And you pick that up again in the sixth one when you're describing the ridges. And some call those ridges eel stripes, and others say, the capital F Father himself drew that crucifix across your back. Mm -hmm. And that not only brings in the holiness, but it also brings in the themes of um, salvation and uh, sacrifice. Yeah. Which well, think, you intimately go into. Mm -hmm. And that's what they, they are animals of salvation and sacrifice and humility. Yes. Um, and, and I also think that something happens when you pay deep attention to another living thing. And whether that's an apple in your hand, a slice of orange, a dog, a cat, a bird, you name it. There is a holiness that, that comes from recognizing life. And 
paying attention to it and, and, and taking note particularly of things that you might have dismissed. You know, donkeys are so easily dismissible. They can stand in for so many things that I think are holy and are made into caricatures and who are laughed at in one way or another. But actually, when you stop and you look at them, they are divine mm. little sparks of light. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was what they gave me when I quit my fussing, put down my shovel in the nature center and, and, and said, okay, well, if this is where I'm, where I need to be, what do you have to teach me? Yeah. Wow. Well, well, that's a gift to all of us because these poems, you know, they, through your eyes and ears and heart, these donkeys are delivered to us mm -hmm. and um, we get to walk that path with you. And um, I, I was also really moved in um, when you started talking about, you know, the language and that old McDonald versions of your song, their fake braids of uh, Eeyore, hee-haw, Eeyore, hee-haw. Mm -hmm. And um, how important language is. Yeah. Kind of representing how we look at something, how we think about something, how we talk about something. These poems from the beginning and then throughout really look at the power of language. Yeah. In relation to donkeys and in relation to all these different themes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, language is one of my obsessions. So I, uh, I, I grew up in a particular kind of Kentucky that um, gave me the gift of a way of speaking that I had to abandon for standardized English. Mm -hmm. Right one point in my life and it made me aware very early on um, what the power of what you say and how you say it you know Ma Margaret Atwood says a word after a word after a word is power yeah and for good or bad whether you're using a language of violence or you're using a language of, of reverence and care, yeah. um, you can transmit tenderness or aggravation or whatever it is, even just by the, the, the common idioms that you hear every day that you just don't even think about. Yeah. And I think it's very important when we're thinking about non-human things when we're thinking about trees and plants and animals the words that we give them they can't speak back in our language so we have to take particular care in terms of what we call them and why yeah. you know is it a being is it an animal is it vermin is it a pet is it livestock? Is it a head of cattle? Like what, what we, what we say something is determines its fate because we, we sort of have control over just about everything. I think it's a, a call to say, okay, like 
step back a minute and, and think about what you have, you know, what was the, it was Adam's first task was to name the animals. Yes. And you wrote a poem about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think about that a lot. Yeah. You know, and how we are all little atoms running around naming things every day. Yeah, sometimes back. not even thinking about it. Yeah. There's just so much power in, in, in changing that. And mm -hmm. even the, um, othering of not including ourselves as animals. We don't mm -hmm. say non-human animals. We just say, you know, them, animals, mm -hmm. as if we're right. not. Yeah, or not even assigning them pronouns. They, she, he, it's an it. Right. When, you, when you say a living thing is an it, that's problematic already. I always think it's really interesting too when I'm walking my dog and she's a very floofy golden retriever so it's very hard to tell what sex she might be but people always will ask me is it a girl or a boy and I thought about that and I I wondered do they really care what they're looking for is a pronoun because it's a dog and they want to say he or she you know they they want to get to that because they want to they want to say like oh it's so cute <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah that's right so that's right it, it's 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 all of it is in our language yes yeah and that is the one thing that humans do that as far as we know no other animal does not in the same way and, no. and everything that we carry is is in in our mouth which i uh I think is 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 so fascinating and burdensome, but also a blessing. Yeah, and and what you're articulating now is also as poets, we're paying particular attention, you know, to the words on the page, to the lines in the poem, to every word, to make every word count. Yes, and it's really lovely to hear you kind of put into words how to look at the world in that same way, not just the making of a poem and the crafting of that, but actually a deeper process inside of yeah. our own mental process of attentiveness. Yeah, and, and honestly, a lot of that comes from years of teaching where I would tell students to add more details, to write imagery, to step away from cliche, and they weren't doing it. And, and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized that you write who you are and you write how you live. And if you're not paying attention, you're not noticing things, of course, then your poems can't do that thing. You know, if you don't take that kind of care in your life and then come to the page, it, it doesn't work that way. So my whole trajectory as an instructor of creative writing changed from looking just at the craft to saying, okay, what kind of soul work do we need to do here? Mm -hmm. And I, I also think too, when at least when, when I am living as I need to live as a poet, my writing follows. Mm. Well, what what lucky students you have. <laughs> I think I'm the lucky one. I'm the lucky one. I'm the lucky one. This is the High Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. Maybe it would be nice to hear some more poems, Nicole.
Okay, well, since I, I, I mentioned it earlier, I might as well just go ahead and take you to Kentucky. In the Kentucky that made me long before I was born, coal was the darkness torn from the dark and donkeys the color of cave fish and moonlight hauled the ore cars, a history told by a few black and white photos and those few men not yet dead from black lung. It meant nothing to me, not the black coal or the white donkeys, not those work to the bone workers, nor the glow of their tractable roots. Those donkeys ghosted deep underground so long they would emerge decades later completely blind. Angry and young, I was ready to kill off any part of me that smacked of those hillbilly roots. And in a basement reeking of cat piss and strawberry wine, we did our best to blow apart speakers with heavy metal cranked loud. We let a blindfold do its work before spinning ourselves round and round, swinging a bat till one of us hit what we were aiming for with a satisfactory thud. Thrilled to hear all those plastic wrapped candies hit the concrete floor. Little did we know we were acting out our own trashy sort of morality play what was really spilling from the split side of that white pinata from that cheap paper mache donkey. That was Nicole Brown reading section 13 from the Donkey Elegies here on the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. We're going to take a short break here. You can find the Hive Poetry Collective on Facebook, Hive Poetry Collective at KSQD. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Poetry. And please visit our website, hivepoetry.org, where we will post all of our podcasts. And for today's show, we will give you links to all the books and references we've made too. We hope you'll visit us on Facebook and leave us some comments. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back. We're here with Nicole Brown on the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and we just listened to Nicole read Section 13 from the Donkey Elegies. So beautiful. Thank you. You really, really go into the work of the donkey there in that poem. Mm. And um, as you kind of allude to the donkeys that used to work in the coal mines, those descriptions, the color of cave fish who mm-hmm. ghosted deep underground so long they would emerge decades later completely blind. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just such beautiful language for such a heartbreaking situation for those animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was really kind of marveling at all the pairings that showed up in this particular poem, the the black coal and the white donkeys, the color of cave fish, the ghosting. Um, And it seemed like a very effective way to work with the tension Mm -hmm. this poem really addresses. Anything you wanna say about that? Yeah, I mean, one thing I always think about 
in terms of poetry is that um, unlike a, a good novel or a short story, as a poet, you don't necessarily have plot to carry your reader mm -hmm. along. Um, what you have is, is tension. You have things that don't quite fit. You have uh, contraries and questions that don't quite have easy answers. Um, and I'm always looking for forces that push against each other. Yeah. And in particular, that was one of those things where um, I was I was trying to to pull out that 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 tension there. And I feel like you did that again towards the end of the poem when you connected those donkeys, you know, those real live oppressed, abused donkeys mm -hmm. to childhood memories of spinning and the blindfold associated with pin the tail on the donkey. It's kind of the penultimate moment of the poem. And then the last moment of the poem, we really kind of feel this jolt of how the donkeys are standing in for much more than just donkeys. I mean, they're standing in for themselves mm -hmm. very directly and strongly, and that's enough in the poem, but they're also standing in for every oppressed animal and every oppressed person. And mm. that, uh, that line of little did we know we were acting out our own trashy sort of morality play, what was really spilling from the split side of that white pinata from cheap paper mache donkey. Mm -hmm. and we really feel the spilling out Thank you. And yeah. grappling that this speaker is doing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I grapple with is to avoid using animals as metaphors, right? So yeah. that there, there is that thing where, you know, you see a bird fly across the sky and you're like, freedom, <laughs> beauty, peace. And the bird is like, well, yeah, I'm just trying to get from over here to over there, lady. Um, <laughs> but that said, uh, the closer you get when the story starts to unlayer itself, I didn't want the donkeys necessarily to be a metaphor to stand in for things, but to say, look at the reality yes. of, of, of what's actually happening. Yes and the reality of what we actually did as kids. I mean, we would take a baseball bat and just have so much fun beating not only a just a perfectly good piece of art, which pinatas are one of those things. I'm like, why do you want to destroy it? And what is that impulse within us to Fill a thing with something sweet only to break it and see that sweetness spill from it. What is that, that violence within us and why does it bring us pleasure? Yeah. And um, it's, it's something I think about a lot. Yeah, and your poems are, are very evident to that. Mm. You know, you're in, in this particular poem, you're drawing us into um, the images and the customs of Kentucky and um, 
I mean, don't want to assume that the speaker in the poem is the poet, but um, since you've mentioned your childhood mm -hmm. roots and they kind of come in mm -hmm. here, you know, that, that opens a door for us there. And there's other poems in the collection that leap to um, uh, other huge subjects that clearly this, the speakers in these poems mm -hmm. think about like slavery and the world wars and you know how donkeys appear in those times in those scenes and mm -hmm. like you said the reality like really looking at what was actually happening you don't have to have a metaphor the actuality and and the language with which that's described is so powerful mm -hmm. thank you we're listening to poems and conversation with Nicole Brown here on the Pied Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Julie Murphy. And uh, it's just such a great conversation, Nicole. Um, maybe you'd like to read number 16. Oh, sure, I'd be glad to. Mary knew, topped by the Almighty, she was no fool now, knew that bright singe was the small dark crown of a half-god insisting, making his way through the small door between her legs. Slumped in the swaying saddle, broken water wetting her blue robe black, her pains divine. She clutched the dusty tufts, yanked the hair from the root, took for her suffering the steady, uncomplaining mane of a donkey. Thank you. Wow. That was actually the first uh, one that I wrote in the collection. I know it appears as number 16 now. It, you must be reading my mind because that's what is exactly what I was going to ask you. <laughs> this poem is you know kind of in the ordering of the collection did you really write it in the middle or yeah so it started out as a hazal or a guzzle however you, yeah. you say it um and that's why so many of the sections end with donkey so but what you had was 25 uh little couplets right and then the last one of course ended with me addressing myself you know as, as you're supposed to do um but the they just kept growing and growing and growing and getting longer and um eventually they ended up as these 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 small prose pieces um that link together in a kind of an essay wow. but yeah and and this i have never ever heard anything like the birth of jesus described making his way through the small door between her legs. Hmm. <laughs> That's fabulous. It's just fabulous. And I, I feel like, the, you know, the holiness is coming back in this particular piece that maybe the whole thing started, if this was the first one you wrote, then it, this was the first introduction, but it, it brings it back in such a strong way. The myths and the Bible stories that come into the collection. And then we see Mary slumped in the swaying saddle, 
broken water wetting her blue robe black, her pains divined. She clutched the dusty tufts, yanked the hair from the root, took for her suffering the steady, uncomplaining mane of a donkey. Mm. Yeah. Not only is that just gorgeous, gorgeous language, it's so vivid and it tells us so much of the story of Mary that's mm. usually glossed over. Well, I think the, the thing that um, struck me first when I started volunteering and I'm in the barn mm-hmm. and the light is coming through the planks of wood in the barn and you have the smell of hay and you've got the donkeys there and the sheep and the goats and and one of the things that occurred to me off the top was that all the time that I was raised southern baptist mostly or depending on whose house I was in was it a catholic or southern baptist but that's that's a conversation for Krista Tippett someday <laughs> but um how many times in my life as a, as a little girl did I put a blue towel on my head mm-hmm. and play nativity scene yes. with a, with the with the doll baby right or uh see a nativity scene you know set up on the altar of 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 some church or other um without actually ever s- standing in a barn you know and I think that that was really what came home to me was like, oh, the manger. Right. What really was the manger? What really did it smell like? What did it sound like? Yes. And I think it allowed my imagination to, to, to go there and to try to embody that story a little bit you know meaning that bringing that story that had existed all of these years um in my imagination without ever really residing literally in my body you know and what is it to clean a barn what is it to mock a barn and is that holy work and i think it is yeah well and you in the descriptions in the book and in this piece in particular we feel that holiness Mm. you know and we're seeing this glimpse of mary in her pains with the donkey as what's supporting her with no doors opening Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as as an unwelcome family Mm And um, I I really appreciate how much you trust the reader in that you give us these very vivid images in this incredibly musical language. And you trust us to link these other pieces together. And I, I think it works profoundly because there are so many embodied physical descriptions um, that mm-hmm. you deliver the hay to us, you deliver that experience to us. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. Do you like the smell of hay? Yeah, I love I, it. 
<laughs> I love it so much. I was really sick last spring. Um, and a friend of mine, God love her, uh, had a bale of hay delivered to my porch. And I just went outside and I put my face in it and I cried like a toddler. Um, but yeah, like there's just something about the smell of hay. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's um, very evocative, you know, and, and the olfactory scent is such an evocative, mm -hmm. uh, you know, experience to smell something. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of remember before you can remember, like, it's not like I grew up in barns or anything. Like I did, I didn't, I didn't know that smell, but when I first encountered it, I did. I, there was something in me that remembered before, 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 whatever that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's some of the mystery and the mystic that you bring into the poems. Yeah. You know, it, it also makes me think there's a, um, a biologist that I really admire. His name is David George Haskell. And he writes some of the, the most gorgeous prose you will ever read about the forest. But um, I guess at one time he had a hand in uh, raising baby goats. And he was talking about how his students would flock to see these goats. And at the time, you know, I had just started working with animals and just started writing these things. And I said, oh, you know, do you ever get annoyed with how silly people get around animals? You know, everyone's like, oh, you know. <laughs> And he sort of stopped me and he said, no, he said, what they're actually doing is they are, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but that they're in touch with something that they're missing in their lives. And you think about how many hundreds of years humans lived right alongside these animals. And now we don't, maybe we have a cat or a dog or a pet fish, but we don't get to see them anymore. And so when we do, it unlocks that, that, that deep memory we have of being with those animals and the, the, the comfort and bounty that they brought us. And I mean, there's a reason why I think during the pandemic, so many of us, including myself, have been binge watching little YouTube clips about animals. Mm -hmm. And adopting it's, pets. And adopting pets. Yeah. It's, it's something that, that we need to survive. It's not all about their survival, too. It's, it's we need them, especially the, the domesticated ones. Um, there's, there's a real symbiosis and a friendship there yeah yeah and I, I really feel like the tone of these poems as varied as they are they really give us that kinship thank you don't you I love that word too yeah kinship yeah yeah we're much closer than we think mm-hmm mm -hmm. and at least in Kentucky you don't turn on your kin like there's like a, <laughs> it's like a, it's a, it's a bigger word than family. It's like, no, that's kin. That's you right. Know, you take care of your kin. Yeah. 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 Be nice to go and look up the etymology of that right now, but yeah. we won't, we'll, we'll do that later. <laughs>
because that's one of my um, one of my obsessions etymology yeah it's yeah. fascinating yeah, it's so fascinating yeah. well if you're tuning in this is the high poetry collective on ksqd santa cruz 90.7 fm i'm your host julie murphy and today we have the great pleasure of speaking with poet nicole brown and hearing poems and talking about them from her chapbook, The Donkey Elegies. I think we have time for maybe one more poem, Nicole. Sure. So, thinking maybe you want to read the final poem from Donkey Elegies? Sure, I can do that for you. And this just puts us right back to what we were talking about, I think, um, because it's sort of, uh, I wrote it trying to round out the collection and, and say maybe what these poems are, are trying to get to in all of their iterations. Blessed be, you know how it goes. Inherit the. In the stall, I stop for a pleasing sound, a steady prayer deep in the middle of teeth an echo within his long and humble skull, a plain song of persistence, of hunger met with plenty of time to chew. Listen, can you hear it too? In his dutiful mouth, the pulp and resignation, the grit and patience of everything grown by the sun, surrendered but saved, brought back by the common low life, base born, absolute holiness that is this donkey. Gorgeous, gorgeous. That was Nicole Brown reading the final poem from the Donkey Elegies here on the High Poetry Collective. You know, one of the things that strikes me about your work, Nicole, is how you use syntax in your poems. Mm. And um, I mean, this poem does pick up the um, themes that we were just talking about, but it, it's also a way that you start the poem, blessed be, period. You know how it goes, colon, inherit the period. Hmm. Just you know, you break up that sentence that we're used to hearing a particular way and you really trust the reader and you really grab our attention um, in that opening of the poem. Like I would have to just keep reading and then you make a leap into the next stanza of in the stall, I stop for a pleasing sound. Can you talk about that leap in the syntax and... Sure. I love me some syntax. Let's just say, like, I don't know if you have read The Art of Syntax by Ellen Bryant Boyd. Yes. That's, that's like, <laughs> that's <laughs> um, Here's why I love syntax. Um, because it defamiliarizes language. And if you're trying to convey a passage that everybody knows, you know, blessed are those that inherit the earth, right? There, there's, there's the risk that you will write something and every someone will just pass right over it. Mm-hmm. But if you can start to invert it and twist it a little, 
play around with the punctuation, um, leave some wonderful Sappho-like yeah. silences. <laughs> you know, those fragments she has of what she has left, left behind of her work. Um, then you can, you can make the language strange. And in making the language strange, you can make it new again. And I'm not talking about like confusing the reader because that's a that's a whole another thing, and you don't want to make it so weird that it reads like word salad. Um, but to to just to play around with a little so that you can emphasize what you need to emphasize and um, try to try to make it new. Yes, and that kind of that defamiliar defamiliarization. And that making of it new also helps the reader really pay attention. Like, I think that's the purpose. And mm -hmm. it's like you were talking earlier about how we gloss over the apple in our hand without even looking at it, maybe mm -hmm. even eat it without even tasting it. Mm -hmm. I think um, your work in this poem in particular really gets us to stop and think and connect things and slow down in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the, the music and the imagery in this poem, but I also really appreciate the turn of the syntax and the way that the grammatical mood changes, that you go from the declarative into the imperative. You have a whole um, monostick of one word, period. Listen, period. Now you're just sweet talking me. <laughs> <laughs> It really makes the reader stop and listen. And then the grammatical mood changes again in the next line, which is also a stanza, a monostick unto itself. Can you hear it too? Mm -hmm. And then I'm really listening and I'm really hearing. And I go back through all the poems I've just read back to the brain and the hollering of the donkey that was mm -hmm. in the very early, I don't know, was that the third? the third poem mm -hmm. in the collection, it all comes back. And then in the next lines, in his dutiful mouth, the pope and resignation, the grit and patience of everything grown by the sun, surrendered but saved. And here we have all those pairings again. <laughs> Opposites and uh, it just, it, it's just amazing how that encapsulates everything into the common low life base born absolute holiness that is this donkey. Thank you. Yeah, that 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 just came. Uh, I had finished my chores, and I just sat in the stall and listened to that chewing, and it's a real specific sound and I, and I and I love it when you can get quiet enough to hear something that you didn't even know how to sound a bird flies over you and you hear its wings yeah I never forget the first time that happened to me it was a raven and I was out in the desert and it was so quiet and I was like oh, wings make a sound yeah it was just this this sort of what I call like the no da aha moments, <laughs> you know, like something that you should know, 
that's totally obvious, but the first time you experience it, it changes everything. And to hear chewing. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine who raises monarch butterflies and she talks about the incessant chewing of the caterpillars mm -hmm. and how she can hear it. Yeah. It's like, what? You know, um, but you know, the, just sitting in the, the barn with the donkey and, and, and ruminants, you know, and, and, and they, you know, they take their time. They're just going to keep chewing, you know? Um, and, and I love that sound. And I really love the sound too, of when they pull grass from the ground. Yeah. That, that snapping sound. Um, horses are really good at this too, yeah. obviously, but it's like, there's just something so crisp and green and beautiful about the sound. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you really give it to us in these poems. It just, you make the world new again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was like the best thing anybody could say to me. Oh, <laughs> well, it's just been such a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks listeners for tuning in. This is the High Poetry Collective and we've just spent the last hour with poet Nicole Brown. I'm your host, Julie Murphy. And Nicole, we hope you see, we see you here in the flesh in Santa Cruz soon. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.